Sometimes on a cold winter afternoon, like we're going to experience today, when I'm really bored, I'll turn on one of those nature shows. That shows you how bored I am. And um, I remember watching one, and there was this cute little rodent nibbling away, chewing its stuff and minding its own business, and then along comes this big old honking snake. And that, that rodent was totally unaware of the danger that lied ahead. It just sat there eating and eating and eating and eating, right? And I'm not a big fan of rodents. How about you? But I begin to connect with the rodent. And soon, bam, it's no more. It's snake ate it on the show. And I thought, oh, the rodent was totally unaware. Now, again, I'm going to say this. I'm not a fan of rodents. But in that case, I begin to kind of feel for that rodent. I uh, spent years out in the country uh, near Elkton here in the 1990s. We had rodents everywhere. Anybody relate to me? Mice, rats. If you live out in the country, you know what I'm talking about, right? So one time, Abby and I are by the back of our K car. I'm really dating myself now. Abby was about four years old. She's about 30 now, so this is really dating us, okay? So I go and I open up the trunk of the car, and there is a nest of mice right in the middle of the trunk of the car. And so I instinct just took over. Don't, don't hold this against me, okay? Some of you who love mice. I grabbed the radiator hose, and I started batting those things all over the place. I didn't know what else to do. There was a radiator. I just, and, but I forgot that Abby was with me. She's four. She's pretty innocent. She's right at the eyeball height of everything that's going on. And um, I'm slapping these mice all over the place, okay? And, and boom, 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 boom. And then I look, and I go, uh-oh, there's Abby. And her little eyes are like, she's just staring at me. And then she looks up at me, and she says, Dad. We don't like mice, do we? <laughs> and I remember saying to her, mice are fine as long as they live in a field and not in the truck of our car. You know, and I said something lame like that, but she didn't quite get it. In fact, I remember having mice in that area so much. One night I was in the kitchen of the house, and I knew there were some mice in our house. And trying to do battle with those guys, right? And I was, it was late at night, and I was barefoot, and a mouse ran across the top of my foot. Now, that'll make you shudder, amen? I still kind of shudder thinking about it. Ooh, I remember it's all... But but I'm watching this nature show, and in spite of all that background, right, I'm feeling sorry for the rodent because it's so unaware of of the danger that it's in and what's about to take place. It's just totally caught, unprepared for this moment. Friends, this is a church in Sardis. We're going to read about the, uh, the church in Sardis today in our study of Revelation, the churches of Revelation. We are on message number four. We only have one more message to go in this series. And the church in Sardis was totally unaware of the perilous situation that it was in. And so with that bit of background, I'm going to um, read to you now from Revelation chapter 3, verses 1 through 6. Listen to what the Lord says to this church in Sardis. To the church in Sardis. To the angel of the church in Sardis write, These are the words of him who holds the seven spirits of God and the seven stars. I know your deeds. You have a reputation of being alive, but you are dead. Wake up. Strengthen what remains and is about to die. For I found your deeds unfinished in the sight of my God. Remember, therefore, what you have received and heard. Hold it fast and repent. But if you do not wake up, I will come like a thief, and you will not know at what time I will come to you. Yet you have a few people inside us who have not soiled their clothes. They will walk with me dressed in white, for they are worthy. 
The one who is victorious will, like them, be dressed in white. I will never blot out the name of that person from the book of life, but will acknowledge that name before my Father and his angels. Whoever has ears, let them hear what the Spirit says to the churches. So once again here, in this word of Jesus to this church in Sardis, we see Jesus being revealed. He is the one that holds the seven spirits of God and the seven stars. Now, most likely this means simply that Jesus is the one who, you know, um, commands the Holy Spirit to go, and he, he was commanding the Holy Spirit to go to the seven churches, and we know that the seven stars is a reference to the seven churches, because elsewhere in Revelation chapter 2, verse 1, um, the seven stars are introduced to us as, as, as a, a reference to the seven churches. But what, what's being said here by this kind of title of Christ, as the one who holds the seven spirits of God and the seven stars, is basically that Jesus is in charge. He's over the churches. He's in a place of authority. He's emphasizing his position of importance. And he's saying to this church in Sardis, you're connecting with the very one who holds the seven spirits of God and the seven stars. Uh, you know, he, He's saying, listen to me about what I'm going to share with you because it's a matter of your own well-being to hear what I'm going to share with you. Now, there's a large amount of similarities that are happening between the city of Sardis and the church in Sardis. The city of Sardis, in ancient times, had been one of the most powerful cities in that area. In fact, at one point, it was even the capital of Persia. But now, under Roman Empire rule, it was diminished. It was losing its importance. It wasn't the city it once had been. Jesus says to the church in Sardis, you're not the church you used to be. You're about image management. You've lost your first love. You've walked away from me. You know, there's this parallel that's going on here. And he's rebuking them and he's admonishing them. You need to return back to me. The old part of the city of Sardis was really built into the side of a mountain. And it was thought to be impregnable when it was first built. They thought, no way any enemy can get this city. It's literally built into the mountain. There's no way to attack it. And so the watchmen would become complacent. And they wouldn't watch for enemies. Two times the city was overrun because it became complacent and thought no one could do any damage to us. And Jesus was saying to the church, that's happening to you. You've become complacent. You've become apathetic. You think you're fooling people. You think you're fooling me. And you're managing image and your hearts are far off from me. Now, in the city of Sardis also was this big temple to Artemis. Um, but it was never finished. They never completed the work. And the Lord Jesus says to the church in Sardis, you have not completed your deeds before me. You're not serving me with your whole heart. You're half-heartedly following after me, and you're trying to manage your image rather than truly serving me. And there's a lot of parallels between the state of the city and the state of the church. Now, to the other churches in the, in the book of Revelation here, Jesus begins by commending them for their love and their faithfulness, uh, their obedience, perseverance, or discernment. Um, but to the church of Sardis, he doesn't do any of that. He just jumps right into an admonishment. You know why? Because they're like a road and the snake's about to get them, amen? And he says, there's no time to waste with you guys. I got to get right down to the meat of the issue here. You are unaware of the danger that you lie in. And so he gives them an admonishment. Now, remember when I use that word admonishment, it's not a bad word. It means a word of advice, of caution, of counsel. 
And it's usually done out of love. So an admonishment to the church of Sardis is this. Jesus is not fooled by image. He wants followers who are faithful to remember him and to live for him, to obey him. To the church of Sardis, he says, you may look good, but you're dead. You're far from me. And he's basically saying, don't think image management is going to help you here. There needs to be a rending of your heart. Do we have problems with image management, you think? As people, come on, do we have problems with image management? What do you think? Yeah, social media, amen? Who puts bad things on social media? You put all the highlights in your social media, amen? If someone reads it, they think your life is just one big party after another. That's all you see, amen? Because on social media, what do we do? We highlight the good things that happen to us. And so if you're reading somebody else's social media and you think, man, I don't have the life they have, well, they don't have that life either, amen? They're just putting the highlights down. Why? Well, either unintentionally or intentionally, it's managing your image, right? And if someone does go on social media and begins to bear the soul and say all kinds of stuff that they ought not to be saying in that public arena, we think, awkward, emotionally challenged, what are you doing here, you know? Because that's not the way you share those kind of things, amen? But isn't that a bunch of image control going on there when you get right down uh, to the brass tacks of it all? Do you think image management is manifested in Brookings? You think we worry about image here? How about those of you watching online today? If you live here in town or if you live out of town, do you think there's a lot of image happen, image management happening in your communities? How about you as a person? Are you concerned about what others think? How does your house look? What's HGTV all about? Do we really need granite countertops? I have nothing against a granite countertop. I kind of like them. They're smooth. I like to touch them. I just want to lick them. They look like they should be something you eat. Amen? So if you have a granite countertop and you see me licking it, you know, better, better clean it up. But anyway, you follow what I'm saying. They just they look cool. I have nothing against them, but I watch this young couple go and they're looking at a half a million dollar house. I can't buy this. It doesn't have granite countertops. I'm thinking, buy a granite countertop. If you really need it. But anyway, sorry. Now you're hearing too much from me, you know. But the, isn't that all about image management? And having what we think we need to have? If you're talking to somebody for the first time, aren't you kind of managing the conversation just a little bit? Because you want them to accept you. You may not think what you really think. If they say something really bizarre and off the, off the you know, edge, you might go, oh, that's nice. When in your mind you're thinking, that's crazy. Why do you do that? Are you Midwestern nice or are you image controlling here? Probably both, amen? We do a lot of this image management. And I think the word that the Lord gives to the church in Sardis is just a word for us too. See, Sardis, the church had slipped into such compromise, they weren't being persecuted. Because they looked just like the world around them. They wanted to be accepted so badly. They wanted to be part of the culture that they were in so badly. They compromised to the point where there was no differentiation. And therefore, they weren't really suffering any persecution. And I read that in the commentary, and I thought, oh my goodness, Lord Jesus. Can we compromise to the point so much so that we just aren't even worth persecuting? Is that something we need to be concerned about? I mean, I just started thinking on that quite a bit. So here's a reflection thought for us to say. 
Are you most consumed with what God thinks of you or what others think of you? What really drives you as a person? See, the people of Sardis were consumed with what others thought of them. And Jesus was saying to them, you need to be consumed with what I think of you. So where are you at today, brothers and sisters? Are you most consumed with what Jesus thinks of you or what others think of you? And then Jesus gives a remedy to this church that I feel is a remedy in my life and a remedy for the modern church today. Here's the remedy he gives uh, for our people who are into image management, maybe lethargic and apathetic. He says, one, remember. You need to remember me. You need to remember what I've done in your life. Um, there's an exercise I want us to go through as a church today. And you, you'll notice there's a question, what do you remember that Jesus did for you? And there's a bunch of lines below it. I want you to be filling this in as I continue to talk on this point. Now, for the women, this will be easy because you can do two things at once. Amen. Uh, men, you know, God help us all. Amen. So... Uh, I'm pretty single-tasked, personally, almost stuck on one thing at a time. But anyway, so I'm going to help you think this through, because I'm going to give you some of my own life examples here of how I remember, and it's extraordinarily helpful for me in keeping my zeal for the Lord hot to, to walk with him with this authentic kind of earnest exchange going on. Do you remember being saved? Do you think on that ever? Do you reflect on it? Do you reflect on how different your life would be if you never met Jesus? When I was 13, I met Jesus. I met him hard in a good way. And I remember the lostness that I had felt before that. I remember going to bed at night, praying, God, don't let me die, because I didn't know where I'd end up. I remember the fear. I remember the anxiety that I experienced. And then I remember getting born again, asking Jesus into my heart. And I remember the utter peace that flooded my soul. At 13, I couldn't have theologically told you what's going on. I just felt totally different. And from that point on, my life was different. Do you remember that? Do you remember that moment in your life? If not, and you're a Jesus follower, stake it down today. Say today, Jesus, I'm going to remember who you are and what you've done for me. Do you remember significant moments that you've had in Christ in your life? There are moments when he just does miraculous stuff. So I remember being called in the ministry, going through all the work, getting the degree, working here a couple years, and then Williston called me to come lead pastor in, in, at that place, which is in northwest North Dakota, which to me, I, I, I grew up in Minnesota. You understand what I'm saying here? I'm not being a snob, you guys that are from North Dakota. I'm looking at Deanne here. I think you grew up in North Dakota, right? Read, read your bio there. Anyway, um, so I grew up in woods. Amen? Woods. Not a few trees in the yard. Woods. With little animals running around in it. Things like that. So I moved from there, then I moved to Iowa, and I thought, oh, this is not that good. Not a lot of trees, but, you know. Then I moved here, I go, woo. Not a lot of trees here. Now, I know you guys think there's a lot of trees here in Brookings, but they're boulevard trees. Okay, nothing wrong with boulevard trees. Whatever. They don't have trees up there. I remember thinking, oh, man, what are we get? What? You don't have trees, really? And, and, and so we were called up there, and I remember getting a distinct word from God as we're praying about and struggling about whether to go up there or not, that I'd be there for 10 years. And I remember thinking, okay, I can do this for 10 years. 
But then I got up there and I loved the people. It was a fantastic place in ministry. And I, my heart really started just going there. And, and I, I really loved living there. And I loved the people. Did I love no trees? No, not at all. It was desolate. It was really windy. I don't like that at all. But I loved being there. You know what happened 10 years to the day? I got a phone call from a person on this church board here. His name is Rick Eggerbrecht. He was, I think, the vice chair, right, Bruce? At that time, I think you were the treasurer, right? Look at Bruce over here. So, um, at any rate, he called me and said, hey, you know, Pastor Tim left here. And I said, yeah, I know. Tim and I are really good friends. Tim had left almost a year before that. And Rick was saying, well, we're wondering if you'd be willing to consider coming here and being the lead pastor here at this church. And I said to Rick, you know what? It's been 10 years. No, I wouldn't have normally said, I said to Rick, no, normally I would have said no to you. But because I think God told me I'd be here 10 years, I'll talk to you. And I'll, I'll pursue this, because I think it might be his will. And lo and behold, here I am, right? And I remember those things. Do you remember those kind of interactions with God in your life? They change how you look at life. They changed, it changed how I came here. I came here with a lot of confidence, you know, that this was God's work for me to do. I, I came with a different kind of attitude because of that, because I understood those significant things that God does in, in a life. Do you understand that? Do you have those moments? Are you writing them down? Do you remember them? It keeps you from becoming lethargic. It keeps you from becoming disconnected and apathetic. Then remember prayer, answered prayer. Do you remember that? There are, there are times when God just answers prayer. I remember graduating in 1980 with a mechanical engineering degree from the University of Minnesota. And I, I graduated in the middle of a recession. Everybody was losing their job. I was in the Twin Cities and it was a recessed area at the time. And I remember thinking, oh no, I just had a little baby girl and I'm graduating. Will I get a job? And I, I tell you, I prayed earnestly, Lord Jesus, I just would like a job. So what happened? I got eight job offers. And I just remember thinking, what is going on here? This doesn't make sense, humanly speaking, amen? And I really believe God answered that prayer. And then when Vicky and I were first married, we both really wanted kids. We were infertile to start with for a few years. And we were kind of dealing with that issue. And I remember praying, oh God, I'll just take one, whatever, you know. And we pursued some things, and God opened her womb. <laughs> Where I began to pray, God, stop this thing, you know, because <laughs> we have six kids, amen. And uh, we kind of committed to having kids as God would give them to us. And then I began to think, oh, boy, our God supplies abundantly, amen. And every time I think of my six kids, I think of God who opens the womb. In fact, Nathaniel's name means gift of God. Every time I say Nate's name and think of Nate, I think, you're a gift of God. I remember. It keeps me hot for Jesus. Amen? So prayer is another way. Answer prayer is another way of, of, of remembering. Hey, a life verse. Do you have a life verse? Some verse that just speaks to your heart that you remember, that you think about, that you meditate on frequently. I have one. It's uh, Romans 15, 13. May the God of hope fill you with all joy and peace as you trust in him so that you may overflow with hope by the power of the Holy Spirit. And I remember that verse all the time. I think, God, I want to be one of those people through the power of the Holy Spirit. I'm, walk, I'm just hopeful all the time. 
See, even when I'm down, there's hope percolating in me. It may take a little to pull out of me, but it's there. How about a now word from God? How about a rhema word from God? Something in scripture that's becoming alive to you and speaking to you now. Do you remember that? I think of Galatians 6, 9 frequently in what we've been going through. Let us not become weary in doing good. For at the proper time, we reap a harvest if we do not give up. And I, I have been saying that verse for a couple years now as we've been going through this kind of whatever we're going through. I don't know what we're going through. Just don't grow weary in doing good. Because you reap a harvest if you just don't give up. You stay faithful to God. So if you remember like this, it's one of the things that becomes a remedy, amen, for apathy. It becomes a way to push off that lethargic spirit that so easily can become something that we're dealing with. And Jesus says to the church in Sardis, remember, remember me. Remember what I've done for you. Go back to that first love. So... Make a list and praise Jesus for his manifold benefits. I encourage you to do that. If you haven't done it while I'm talking, do it today or later on in the week. Then secondly, second part of the remedy is repent. Now, and repent in the case of the Church of Sardis meant that they needed to repent of image management, of deception, of looking alive to others and being dead. They needed to repent of that and rend their hearts and just return in earnest to Jesus Christ. And I think for us, that's a word for all of us today, too. God sees us. Amen? He knows us. He knows our beginning from our end. And we need to not be about image control or management, but we need to have hearts that are rent before our God, that are honest and open and obedient to him. And in Sardis' cases, the, the deeds didn't back up the church's, you know, words. And what I pray for in my life frequently is, God, let there be a holy alignment. Let me be not just a hearer of the word, but a doer of the word also. Amen? Let my life align rightly under you. So, do you need to repent of being consumed with what people think of you more than what God thinks of you? Where are you at? Do some work today in the person of the Holy Spirit. Now, Jesus warns the church in Sardis, wake up! He says, I'm going to come like a thief if you don't wake up. And basically he's saying, I'm going to come like a thief and going to render judgment unto you if you don't wake up. And one of the things I take away from this and other scripture uh, from the Lord Jesus Christ is there always needs to be in our hearts an urgency in following Jesus Christ. There needs to be an urgency in following Jesus Christ. I mean, even when he talks about his return, he talks about it in this language of a thief. Now, this language here in Revelation 3.3 where he said, I'll come like a thief, is not referring, I don't think, to end times. I think it's referring specifically to the church in Sardis. I'll come like this. But there's this big theme I see in Scripture from Jesus. Urgently follow him. Urgently follow him. And so I want to read Christ's um, words about his second coming here. Listen to this with this kind of theme bubbling in your mind that there should be an urgency in following after him. I'm going to read from the Olivet Discourse, Matthew chapter 24, and I'm going to read about the day and the hour being unknown of when Christ will return. Listen to what he says, uh, beginning with verse 36. But about that day or hour, no one knows, not even the angels in heaven, nor the Son, but only the Father. As it was in the days of Noah, so it will be at the coming of the Son of Man. For in the days before the flood, people were eating and drinking, marrying and giving in marriage, up to the day Noah entered the ark. And they knew nothing about what would happen until the flood came and took them all away. 
That is how it will be at the coming of the Son of Man. Jesus is saying people are just going to be unaware. They're going to be apathetic. They're going to be lethargic. They're going to think everything's going to go on as it's always gone on. Two men will be in the field. One will be taken, the other left. Two women will be at the grinding, uh, will be grinding with a handmill. One will be taken, the other left. Therefore, what does he say? Keep watch. Because you do not know on what day your Lord will come. But understand this. If the owner of the house had known at what time of night the thief was coming, he would have kept watch and would have not let his house be broken into. So you also must be ready because the Son of Man will come at an hour when you do not expect him. So I see that we're to have this perspective. Now all this, I think, is addressing the issue in the church in Sardis. But more than that, it's addressing that same kind of issue, tendencies that we might have of just being into image control, going through the emotions, getting lethargic, getting apathetic. It's a perspective that we should embrace as Christ followers. Follow Jesus with urgency. Make that kind of your saying. I'm going to follow you, Jesus, with urgency. I don't have all the time in the world. I don't know when you're going to show up. I don't know what you're going to do next. I'm going to follow you with urgency. And I think that contains two elements. One, wake up. See, that message to the church in Sardis, or wake up, that's a universal message to all of us. Wake up. In the case of the Sardis church, they need to wake up, or at an unexpected time, Jesus said, I'm going to come and you're going to suffer judgment under me. Um, do you have trouble waking up at night, anybody? I've told this story a long time ago, so some of you might vaguely remember it. I have a terrible time waking up at night when I first fall asleep. Now that I've gotten older... I get about four hours of sleep, and I can't go back to sleep. It really stinks. When I had little kids, I never got to sleep because they kept waking you up. Amen? Now I get older, and I go, now I wake myself up. This doesn't seem right. But at any rate, I'm whining about something that doesn't matter. But get this. I got I to share the story with you. Back in my Elkton days, back out in the country again at this house one night, I remember going to bed. It was about 12 o'clock at night. And, um, and I remember as I'm falling asleep, I wonder why Elizabeth is taking a shower at this time of night. And then I fell asleep. You ever have one of those kind of moments? And I, so I fall asleep. And it was probably within 15, 20 minutes of my falling asleep and thinking those thoughts that Elizabeth came running into our room saying, Mom, Dad, wake up. There's water flowing out of the ductwork in my bedroom. Right. And so what had happened was we had a main floor laundry room and the hose had burst in the back of the laundry uh, uh, washing machine. And it was running right down the ductwork of all the house. So Vicki, bless her heart, she's like a cat. I'm into roads and cats, okay? She springs out of bed. That's what she does. I don't know how she does it. Wide awake. She's an amazing woman. I, I, and she goes, Steve, quick, get up. I'm going, ah, ah, ah. You know what I mean? Because I, I was just like entering REM. You know what I'm saying here, guys? And she goes, Steve, kick, come on, we got a problem, get up. So I, I literally rolled out of bed and I landed on all fours on the floor. And I'm laying there. I remember thinking, where am I? What's going on? I was so groggy and so out of it and so unprepared and so not with that moment. And, and I remember the girls, there's water everywhere. I remember saying that and I'm going, what? It's like, ever been in that fog where you're kind of like, yeah, some of you are pointing at each other. Okay. I just couldn't wake up. And even as I stumbled into the room, I'm going, why is there water everywhere? You know, I'm just like, that's not right. You know, <laughs> kind of, and so here's a lesson I learned from that. One, I don't wake up very well. 
in an emergency. And that's probably problematic. Two is, I should train my wife how to shut the water off because evidently she wakes up really well. Now, that, that, that's not the takeaways. The takeaway I want you to see is this is the church in Sardis. They were apathetic, lethargic, in a fog, unprepared, not seeing what's going on. And I think this is a gift to us today, church. This is a gift to us today, this word to Sardis. Jesus is saying to this church today, as he said to the church in Sardis, wake up, be prepared. Now's not the time to disconnect. Now's not the time to be apathetic. Now's not the time to be lethargic. Wake up. Walk vibrantly with me. Love on me like you've never loved on me before. Connect with me. Be committed in following me. Wake up, church. Wake up, church. Amen? Wake up. Second word here, I think, that's really important if we're going to follow Jesus with urgency is watch. In the case of the return of Jesus Christ, it was noted that we need to keep watch. We need to be urgently following him, watching for his return, expecting his return, looking for his return. And I think that's a great word for us as the people of God. We need to watch for what Jesus is up to. You know, in the middle of everything we've gone through the last couple of years, we can take a couple different approaches. We can feel like victims or we can try to escape and we can feel, oh, whatever. But I think uh, what we should be doing is saying, Jesus, what are you up to? We should be watchful. We should be doing some analysis. We should be doing some self-reflection. We should be watching for the work that Jesus wants to accomplish in us in the middle of this time. Not only watching for his return, which we definitely we should do, but we should be on the hunt. We should be aware. What are you up to, Jesus? What are you doing here? Amen? We've got to wake up, and we've got to be watchful. To me, that's urgently following Jesus Christ. And this word to the Sardis church ends with a little message to the faithful, a word to the faithful. Jesus sees those who do not soil their clothes. He sees the few. There were just a few there. But he said, I see you. And that reminds me of American Ninja Warrior. Anybody watch American Ninja Warrior in here? Come on, I know some of you do. Come on. Anybody watch it? You're just not going to raise your hands? Am I that out of it? I'm in the, okay, some people watch American Ninja Warrior. Well, they got a couple of announcers who borderline are annoying at times, but I get a kick out of them. Akbar. I really get a kick out of his enthusiasm. And he'll see somebody going through that course. It's tough to do. Have you tried doing any of those obstacles, by the way, some of you? They're hard. They're really hard to do. And he, somebody will be crushing the course. They'll just be going through it. And Akbar will go, I see you. And what he means by that is, I see your skill. I see you're crushing the course. I see your commitment. I see your dedication. I see what you're about, you know. And he'll say, I see you. And if you listen to sports closely, you'll hear announcers say that every now and then, I see you. What they're saying is, I'm acknowledging who you are. I, I, I'm aware of what you're doing. Jesus is saying to this few faithful in the church of Sardis, I see you. I see that you're faithful. I see that you're persevering. And he says, as a way of comfort, you're going to be dressed in white, and your name will not be blotted out of my book of life. Now, we got to understand, as the case is all along in Revelation, this stuff would resonate with these people. The imagery would resonate. They would get what he was talking about because in Sardis, the wool industry was huge. And people loved to dress nice. They loved the outward appearance. And when he says, those of you who have not sold your clothes, I see you. You're going to be dressed in white linens. And they would go, oh, we get that. That's, that's really neat. And then he says to them, 
Your name's not going to be blotted out of my book. Well, in that time, in that era, um, if you lived in the city of Sardis, there would be a registry for the city. So if Chad was in the city, your name would be in the registry. And you would be a citizen because your name was in that book of registry for that city. But if you were to do something the city didn't like, you know, became a criminal or died, they would blot your name out of the book. You'd no longer have that privilege of being a citizen of that city. And Jesus says, I see you, those of you who are walking in your white clothes, those of you who have not sold them, those of you who trust Jesus, I see you, amen? And I will not blot your name out of my book of life. And they'd all go, oh, they would get that imagery. They would get that picture, amen? They would understand what he was saying to them and the assurance that it, it, it was meant to impart. By the way, if you read your Bible closely, you'll see that the redeemed in Jesus are dressed in white. When you see the ones who are martyred, they're in robes of white, wait, waiting for Christ to right the wrong that was done to them. The 24 elders had bowed down and worshiped before Jesus Christ are dressed in white. The multitudes who had washed their garments in the blood of Christ are in white garments now. It is a sign of purity and of being in the right state before Jesus Christ. Amen? And so when Jesus says to them, I see you, you're dressed in white clothes, he's saying, I see you're in the right state before me, and I'll not blot your name out of the book of life. This ends like all the other messages and in, the, in the first few chapters. It says, those who have ears, let them hear what the Spirit says. You know why that's like that? Because every one of these messages is to all people. It's saying, to those who have ears, to those who are spirit-led, listen to what I'm saying to these churches. Let it penetrate your heart. Amen? That's what Jesus is saying. And every message he's saying, it applies to all of us. So hear what the Spirit said. Now, we're not going to cover the Church of Philadelphia. We're going to go right to the Church of Laodicea next week. But I want to just say this. That little church in Philadelphia was faithful. And they, they basically just had words of encouragement from Jesus. They were kind of like the opposite of the church in Sardis, which was basically the recipient of, of, of a word of admonishment. The church in Laodicea, Jesus says, I know you're, you're of little strength, which means you're probably small numbers, but you've been faithful. Hold on, hold on, hold on. But here's the sad thing. I want you to do this. Not one of the churches that are mentioned in the book of Revelation are anymore. They're just ruins. They're just tourist spots of what was once there. Amen? And I think Jesus is saying to you and I today, hear what I'm saying to these churches. Because if you don't, it can lead to destruction. Amen? So, he who has ears, let them hear what the Spirit says to the seven churches. Amen? Let's pray. Lord God, I want to thank you for this message to the church in um, Sardis, I really feel like it is a gift to us, Lord. And I I just pray that uh, we would be urgent in following after you. That's what I pray would be our takeaway, that we'd be people who are awake and aware of what's going on and that we're uh, urgently following after you, Lord, and we're, uh, uh, you know, not lethargic and not apathetic, Lord, but instead we're on fire for you. Burn within us, Holy Spirit. Uh, renew that flame in us and I just pray Lord that we'd be a watchful people too 
that we would look at what's going on and say, okay, what does this mean, Jesus? What are you up to? And that we do life with that kind of watchfulness and awareness. Um, Lord Jesus, just thank you that you love us so much, that you give us these, these words, some of them being very strong, but they're always uplifting and they're always for our benefit, Lord. I pray that we grab a hold of them today and, and live accordingly, Lord. In your name, Jesus, amen. Go ahead and stand.